Hello and welcome to episode 249 of the Creighton Crowbar. It is the 1st of August 2018. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined by Marsh Davis. Hello. Alex Wiltshire. Hello. Tom Senior. Hello. And Captain Banter. Captain Bantz. My leash. So uh, we bought, innocently went to buy a bottle of uh, Captain Morgan's Spiced Rum, the traditional podcast drink, for this uh, traditional podcast. Only to discover that it has a special edition label or something, uh, which just sort of innocuously rebrands it and him as uh, Captain Banter. I don't know how I feel about this at all. They're trying to capitalise on, like, Love Island or something. I guess so. Cat Bantz. Uh, adding to an unnerving beginning to this podcast as as we made our uh you know uh, traditional honking noises to test the microphones a man across the street started shouting honk as well <laughs> we don't know if he can still hear us maybe he's captain banter come to <laughs> reclaim his prize <laughs> it's like the ring <laughs> Do you open captain if he banter? starts crawling out of the television that's that's almost video game news what? We thought we didn't have any video game news, but did you guys see the VR ring experience uh, in which you can wear a, an AR headset and watch... Uh, the, is it What's her name? That's not right. Sadako. Sadako. Climb yeah. out of the television not right. and across the floor to you. Uh, I don't think... Why, was, though? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Perhaps your pants were too clean. There's no real good reason to do something You've like been, that. You've been constipated for a long time. <laughs> is it a full helmet you wear? Because that would be just sort of horrible, because you, you, you'd you be sitting there knowing that you've soiled yourself and <laughs> be unable to do anything about it, yeah. or know the, the sheer extent are, of are you Are you arguing implicitly, Alex, that it is better to shit yourself with an AR headset on? I don't know. Microsoft's Maybe lens. it's better not to know. Oh, with that, you AI, know so you either way, yeah, right? Like, I think it's probably the first thing human if, beings learn if, is, oh, I've shit myself. Well, maybe, maybe <laughs> with an AR one, it, it, it does something to the soiledness because it recognizes it. Maybe, so is it, maybe is it the thing? Maybe she crawls out of the soiledness. You hold oh, up an iPad over the, and watch it, watch the screen through the iPad. And then she crawls out of the, the telly into your iPad. And then by the time she's called out of your iPad, she's going to be quite small and easy to <laughs> You just keep them getting and then out of your devices yeah, to trap her in. That's right, yeah. 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 So that's one of those clown That's just a really good, like, this is like a ring sequel for the kind of two-screen viewing experience world. <laughs> yeah, where it's just smaller and smaller. Like, eventually she climbs out of your Fitbit. And, and then it's a, that's a terrifying experience for borrowers. Extremely pixelated <laughs> in one colour. <laughs> good there really isn't any video game news that wasn't really uh, so news was it? i think maybe Sorry. like it's now been um like several months uh since we uh really made any effort to cover news on the podcast so maybe this is maybe your return march is a good excuse in any just to say like death to news <laughs> <laughs> he's got the nod it's got the nod there we go um so yeah uh welcome back marsh thank you for, for, for one night only indeed yeah, or well, I mean, a brief appearance. Did you sail any high seas with Captain Bance? No, I didn't. No, I, I decided to go by plane. I thought that seemed, <laughs> seemed more sensible. It's 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 fun at first sailing the high seas with Captain Bance, <laughs> yeah. but just after a while, you just <laughs> wanna go to sleep. Yeah, and he's like, mate, <laughs> and you're like, oh fuck, it's tiring. I completely sympathise. Thank you. Yeah, he doesn't know. He can't fly a plane. <laughs> really good reason. <laughs> I've been on plenty of planes though with, with Captain Bantz of some kind. Oh, really? Like, yeah, you get a lot of airline pilots who are like, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, we'll be leaving soon if we don't crash. <laughs> <laughs> 
I once got the, um, the, the when I was flying first class once. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I didn't buy, pay for the ticket, but um, the I got a uh, the business card of the pilot with his personal phone number. As in, like, <laughs> call me. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody in, in that row got it. I was, but I was always tempted. What would happen? Is net wide? He just phoned him up. You, like, you weren't hey, meant yeah, to I just, call, uh, call me. When you're playing, it was really nice. Thanks very much. <laughs> I thought it was great. I thought we could get coffee. <laughs> yeah. uh, just talk about things. Hey, I thought you had a great patter and uh, yeah, <laughs> great. <laughs> I've flown I've flown first class exactly once as well. Also, not paying for it. Uh, thanks, games industry. Uh, and I just ate a big roast beef dinner and drank until I fell asleep. Like a boozy heart disease baby. Mm-hmm. It was great. It was great. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well then. <laughs> I see that, uh, the spirit of Captain Bance is truly uh, with us. Yeah. He's come into the room. Mm. Yeah. We should talk about uh, games, what we've played. Hmm. Marsh, as you are returning onto this fold, mm. I feel like you should deliver the mildest takes. <laughs> well, it's good, because I really only have very mild, very brief takes, because I have been moving countries, mm. uh, the first leg of two country moves, so I haven't really had as much time to yeah, play games. Yeah, you're on your way to America. I am on my way to America. But before I moved to America, I did play lots and lots of God of War, and obviously that prevented me from playing... Um, any uh, PC games. Mm. And then I packed up my PC and sold it for a very, very excruciatingly low price to somebody who I care about deeply but wish I had charged more uh, <laughs> to. Um, so I didn't get to play any PC games then. But I did play uh, a bit of Chasm, mm. which is a procedural Metroidvania game that's been in the works for five years. I think Gosh. it was... I think it was a Kickstarter. I think it was a Kickstarter in like the second wave of Kickstarters. Mm. Sort of like post Banner Saga Kickstarter. Um, so it's been cooking for a very long time. It's got a beautiful pixel art style. The pixel art is exquisite. Good goblins. Um, good goblins. I think they're actually <laughs> kobolds technically, Alex. Um, but yeah, they are pretty good. You'd know. <laughs> uh, and it's, yeah, um, I, uh, it's quite boring so far, unfortunately. I don't know whether it's um, going to blossom in some kind of exotic way later on, but it seems like the procedural generation thus far doesn't really add much to it. I mean, it's quite clever that they've been able to create a Metroidvania game because obviously Metroidvania games are fairly principled in the ability to kind of sequentially unlock things and for that to feel kind of well-paced and interesting. Mm. Uh, so to put those different objectives randomly around a dungeon... Seems like that wouldn't work. Um, maybe it doesn't. I don't really know yet because I haven't uh, got quite far enough in it. But is what, it? Uh, is I everything can... procedural? Like all? No, I don't think so. I, my suspicion is that every it's, atom, uh, <laughs> every cobalt. Um, my suspicion is that the rooms themselves are probably fairly handmade, or at least like platforming sections with them are, are, are handmade, and then the rooms are then juggled up. Mm. But uh, honestly, the platforming challenges so far have been extremely facile, and the enemies I fought have been extremely boring. Like they're just, <laughs> they're just path enemies, so they walk back and forth on a path. Even a kobold, even a kobold with a little drilling thing, he'll just walk up to you, then stop right next to you, and then turn around and walk back again. And you just have to hit him three times, and he doesn't attack you ever. He just walks into you. Right. And it's, I don't. I, I mean, I I understand the enemies get more complex. I fought one boss so far, but. Uh, it just feels a little kind of bit bland. Mm. I'm hoping that on the basis of some uh, other people's reviews that I've read of it, it uh, 
it becomes more interesting. But it's I, I don't know. I feel, I feel like the Metroidvania has reached its apogee uh, at a certain point. There's lots of really good Metroidvania games out there, and they're so kind of flavorful, and they still feel so kind of well designed and precisely engineered. And mm. you know the tools you have are so kind of exotic and interesting, and they transform your playthrough depending on which one. And this doesn't really have any of that. It just feels like sort of bog standard uh metroidvania but boring it's a shame <laughs> is that, it so when yeah. you say it's pretty generated is it like generated once when you start the run yes there's a seed for each kind of run and you right. can share seeds apparently <coughs> um but I, I don't know quite what value there would be in that or what replayability that really gives it i would say like it sounds like to me like in it with the most sort of generous hat on which is a thing. That's a critical term that critics mm. use. People always talk about how good your generous hat looks, Chris. <laughs> Thanks. Um, thank you. Uh, it's, uh, it's been 249 episodes. Someone's finally put it out. <laughs> uh, but um, that that might be something that's specifically of interest to like speed running or something like that. That there's like, mm. there's lots of sort of mature forms of enjoying a Metroidvania where it's about how quickly you can master it or your kind of ability to kind of derive a fast solution that maybe that's catering to. This is my mm. attempt to explain why you might generate it rather than just make one, right? Yeah. You might have a sell there to people who want to. Yeah, I think um, I was never a huge fan of Castlevania. So maybe, mm. um, but I, I've always been a fan of Metroid. Um, mm. And I think maybe the, actually the, the, the meshing of those two genres, like uh, in, in the Metroidvania is perhaps a little bit misleading because maybe they they have different things that appeal to different people, each of those kind of strands. I think Castlevania is probably more of the enemies are fairly trivial. You can kill them with one hit sort of thing. Um, whereas I feel like Metroidvania feels more like a, sorry, Metroid rather feels more like world building in a way. Yeah. Mm. I think, um, I was going to get to this because I'm going to talk about Dead Souls in this episode at some, mm. but like, but when I, I just, um, uh, I've been, you know, playing it for a review because it's out very soon. It's been in access for a while, but I'm much more comfortable comparing that game to Castlevania than Metroid. Oh, really? Because Castlevania is the combat game of the two. Yeah. Castlevania is the one with shitloads of different weapons and mad items. It's and RPG system. RPG systems and mm. all of this stuff. Mm. Metroid has combat and obviously good combat and boss fights and things. But uh, your progression doesn't work in quite the same way. And once you've understood how to use a weapon, it always works that way. You're not picking up crazy new whips or anything. Yeah. You know? So... I would say that, like, if it's not combat focused, that's fine in the Metroid tradition, but not necessarily in the mm. other part of the Vania. From what I've seen of it, it does look like it's taking on, like, sort of the the combat seemed in in Crawl seemed very like chasm. do the chasm. chasm sorry, uh, seemed to be the um the the the, the Castlevania style sword one where it just a sword just pops out in front of yeah. you for a moment, and that it seemed. Mm sort of that one but obviously Castlevania has like huge depths beyond that you know that's just the start of the game thing mm. and maybe that's maybe it's just maybe. the start of chasm I hope it is how much uh, how far deep did you get into that chasm oh n- not far at all I don't think I, I don't really know I don't know El- how long the game elbow. is elbow yeah <laughs> well maybe a little more than elbow up to whatever this part of your arm is I don't know uh, bicep bicep yeah good bicep. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Alex? What are you going to see? Well, I was thinking you might, you might want to talk about uh, Dead Cells next oh, because yeah. I'm going to go. I'm going to also talk a bit Castlevania. Okay, uh, not um, wow, uh, but um, you because I think Dead Cells and Chasm probably have more in common. Mm, okay, well, so I, I've been playing a bunch of Dead Cells, and I think we've all talked about it at different points because it came out last year. Dead Cells is um, the another procedurally generated 
sort of it's not really a metroidvania game i'd contest that definition but it definitely sits castlevania is definitely one of those big influences as is diablo and dark souls and splunky um i would say uh which is a pretty heady mix of things um to combine uh you are a you basically embark on runs through this uh sort of castle fortress gothic island thing very much in the castlevania mold uh split up into different zones where there is an ending that you're trying to get to, but you're probably not going to get there on your first run. And when you die, you go back to the beginning. And there are lots of different routes through the castle, so different zones lead to different other zones, and some of them branch. And some of that branching is based on upgrades that you've got, which is very Castlevania or Metroidvania-ish, in terms of if you have the double jump or the ability to open this kind of door, you can then go to this place on subsequent runs. But it works very differently, because none of that stuff technically bars your progress through the game. Some of it does, but you you resolve that stuff very, very early. It's more about the potential choices you can make about the kind of run you're going to do, if that makes sense. So it's like, this time I'm going to go, I'm going to aim for the clock tower, and that means requiring these kinds of upgrades and things. And so that's interesting. Um, It's great, and it's chiefly great because the combat is amazing. Um, It's sort of 2D... But I feel closer to Souls than, in some ways, like a hybrid of Castlevania and Souls. Uh, the thing that's Soulsy about it, apart from having a flask that refills your health that you have limited uses of, is a dodge roll that gives you an invincibility frame, um, which feels great. It's very generous invincibility frame. Yeah, well, you can really use it in cool. midair. Yeah. There's lots of things. So you're combining okay. like double jumps and ground slams and wall jumps with a midair dodge roll that feels real nice. Um, also, uh, there are other little things like, uh, you know, you have shields. One of your weapon types is a shield that has a parry window, sort of similar to kind of Dark Souls thing. Uh, it has Bloodborne's health regen mechanic, Ooh. um, where when you take damage, your health bar just goes yellow and then that yellow bit decays. But if you can do damage in the time, hmm. immediately, immediately have to take damage and the, the time window is very, very tight, you'll get some of that health back. Not always all of it, but, you know, you have that kind of, like, I've just taken damage, but I wasn't necessarily punished for being aggressive, that kind of thing. That feels great. Um, and um, there's a lot of just really fun weapons. So you're, by default, you have no default attack. You have two weapons, one on X and one on Y on the Xbox pad, which is definitely a pad game. Um, and two items which want to cool down. And so... You might have spears and bows and shields and swords and things, but you'll have grenades and turrets and oh. like, um, you know, turrets that stick to the ceiling and shoot at people, but only work when you're a certain radius of them and spike traps that you can lay and things like that. And finding less stuff is random in every playthrough. And that stuff also gets like Diablo style modifiers, like causes corpses to explode or sets enemies on fire or does more damage to enemies that are on fire. So every time you play it, you are basically building a play style and uh, this all ties into a, uh, sort of, uh, uh, universal upgrade system where you collect cells, um, like as in glob jewels that, uh, you lose if you die, but if you can hold onto them to the end of a level, you can spend them on permanent upgrades. So this might be, you find a blueprint for a new weapon, but until you've invested the right amount of souls, that weapon will not drop in future runs. Uh, so you continue to expand the arsenal of stuff that can drop for you, or you can get permanent upgrades to the amount of times you can use your health flask. And that kind of thing. There's a stat system which dictates how much type each weapon has a color affinity, and your points in that stat affect that and a bunch of other things as well. The color affinity being like what? the three stats. So, oh, I see. Like, and so it might be this is a red weapon. So you upgrade brawl, which is the red stat. I'm with you. 
And that's, you do that by finding items around the environment. And there's also mutations, which you can pick three towards the start of a run, um, which include like, I want, you know, a 50% cooldown reduction on grenades because this, this run feels like a grenadesy run, or yeah. I want a damage boost every time I kill an enemy, which makes you very good at killing hordes, but maybe a bit weaker against bosses and that kind of thing. And there's loads of good things about the system. I think the weakness of it, and I, I've been playing the game for a year, uh, but coming to it in its kind of final form now that it's coming out, the thing that sort of strikes me about it is that, like, I really fell out with it. And I think I think we've all of us that have played it have had the experience of, like, playing it, playing it, playing it, and then hitting a brick wall and kind of bouncing off. And it's only in the last couple of days with it that I've kind of realized that it's really worth persevering with. Because the reason the frustration sets in is because of the presence of a universal upgrade system. It's really easy to feel like the reason I'm struggling is because I need because that's quite a grind. Like if you if you dedicate yourself to getting a particular upgrade, the cost gets quite high. Like at the moment, I'm looking at like 600 cells to upgrade my health vase to the vase health vial to the next level, and I maybe you know maybe like a hundred in a run but a run is like an hour of my time. So I'm like six hours to get the next one. That feels mm. like ages. When you feel like the only thing that's going to get you to the next tier is a grindy upgrade. It's really easy to go like, ah, whatever. And also because you can, it's a bit like Diablo in that you can be really enjoying a playstyle. You've got weapons you really like and they really click together. And it's just fun to clear the levels. The combat feels so good. Enemies kind of, the sound design's great. The, it's got very good, uh, I would say Vlambeer-ish pixely minor slowdown then something goes boomf whatever that's called <laughs> you know it's a big shower of gems yeah and gems and, 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 and you know icker basically when you just spank a dead man and it goes like <laughs> boomf and you're like fucking yes that feels really good and then to lose like you get really really deep and you encounter a boss you've never seen before and you will probably lose every the first time you encounter each of the bosses um you, you're fucked and you're not fucked in the Dark Souls way where it's like, oh, back to the bonfire. Time to maybe do a little run back to learn this boss or a Castlevania thing, which is very similar. Mm. It's, I've got to start the entire game again and I may never have those weapons ever again. Oh. Like, mm. it's just over. And that's like quite powerfully it's negative. A, it's a real gut punch. It is. It's mean. It's mean to you. Oh. But then the next next run, suddenly you find two oh, different weapons weapon and how they're yeah. the best thing in the whole world. And so it asks you to deal with this like momentary like, oh fuck. And like, I've definitely like, um, full on quit. Like, okay, don't want to play this ever again. Quit. Back to main menu. Back out. Done. And then like, do some dishes or something and then go back upstairs and, and, and load it <laughs> and then play it again. You know, because that's kind of the game it is. And then discovering that, like, you start to think about, like, you have, like, your own meta game for, like, upgrades you think are really important. And then you get to the first boss. Like, now, I remember the first boss being hard, and now it's, like, trivially easy. And the interesting thing is, because your core stats don't change at all run to run, like, you can get upgrades that mean things can drop. But apart from your ability to use your health potion a little bit more, there's nothing that's, like, you just have more health or anything like that. It's, like, a boss I used to find really hard. I now find I started to find easy if I could get a certain loadout, and now I just find it easy. Hmm. And there's no explanation for that other than the game's actually quite well balanced and I've just gotten a lot better at it, hmm. which is the sign that the game is is hmm. good, actually. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Um, like, you know, and there's so much cool stuff like that. The crossbow, which initially like crossbows in, in RPGs or games like this tend to be quite lame because it's like the slow firing, um, the slow firing version of a bow. No one wants to fire slowly. Who wants to do that? And all they've done is decide that the crossbow is a shotgun. That's that's it's like it describes itself slow firing but fires three bolts at close range and then you realize that they've gone to the extent of basically adding the doom shotgun sound to it like you you activate the shotgun and it goes and like that's 
You think you're barely pretending. <laughs> <laughs> but it feels great because it's so much stuff about it. It's just down to little bits of execution. But like when you press the fire button on the shotgun, it doesn't fire straight away, which is its slow firing thing. You hear the kind of it being cocked, which is the pretend like shotgun pump. Uh, and then it fires. It does shitloads of damage at close range. But in the window of time after you've activated it, you have full freedom about which direction you're looking in and you'll continue to move. You, you lose control of your movement. If you, so if you are falling, you can no longer control the direction of a fall once you started to fire it, but you can change your orientation. So you can set up lots of things where you like aim it, but then the enemy moves slightly and you spin around in the interval of time between pressing fire and actually firing. Huh. And then just like let this rip of, you know, close range crossbow bolt go and the enemy just goes blomf and it's fucking great. It's really good. Really. I like the way the, um, the, a lot of the upgrades that they're not like 5% extra. No. You know, there are like 50% better cooldown. Mm. Like you feel upgrades. They're really good. Yeah. You get like, um, and you, there's a little, there's a little man, little goblin, uh, that will let you like re-roll the upgrades on things. And cause there are some of them which are like, this, this one just does a hundred percent more damage, but you take a hundred percent more damage as a consequence. Do you want to try that? If not, you can try and re-roll it, get rid of it, but maybe it's worth it, et cetera, et cetera. And loads of, um, I think the final thing I'd say in its praise is it's really interesting the way its environments are constructed from like a Castlevania point of view because it's this run thing. Because most Castlevania games or, or Metroidvania games, you know, they assume a, a certain pace of exploration, right? We're talking about that. It's about pacing. You're like, oh, I've discovered a new thing. Time to go back. Mm. This doesn't have that. This is time. I've discovered a new thing. That's interesting for the next time I do this. And each of its environments has um, like quite a lot of secrets. Like there are there are things that are sort of um, both enemies, but also like mechanics that only exist in certain areas that can conceal special routes or blueprints that you can only find by solving a particular puzzle in an environment. And that always encourages you to like do the Metroidvania thing of like stay in a place, dig out its secrets, figure out what you need to do in order to progress. Maybe you come back here when you've got the climbing or, or whatever it is. But there are also quite a lot of mechanics that encourage you to speed on it. So it does both at the same time. Um, so like um, there are doors in each of the zones after the first one uh, that lock a certain amount of time after your run begins. So the first one's in the second zone, it closes after two minutes. And initially that's like, when you're first playing the game, you'll never get there in two minutes. But yeah. now I can easily do that in about a minute and 10 seconds. So like, um, and then the next one is closes after eight minutes. The one after that closes after 15 minutes and that's immediately after the first boss. And initially these things are just like, you you do it for the first time and you're probably 40 minutes into the run and it says, this door closed 25 minutes ago. And you go, oh, okay. But then when you get better, you start to factor that into your run and you realize that that's a really efficient way of getting cells quickly, for example. And that, that I find this super cool because this is something that I don't think even Spelunky does where you go like, this run, I'm going to try and solve this puzzle in this world and I'll get a permanent upgrade from doing it. But in this run, I don't really have a plan. So I'm just going to go for it quickly. Huh. And I'm going to ignore lots of enemies and just do cool dodge rolls through environments and just get to the exit because I want to try and do this thing. And supporting lots of different speeds of play within the context of the same environment is a really, uh, just from a design point of view, like a really cool layer yeah, yeah. to add to, uh, to what it means to have a procedure generated environment. Like it's not, it's not just, it's different every time. It's like your relationship with it might be different every time. And the, with all the different weapons, they all have yeah. their own play styles as well. Like it's basically, you can play totally different games per between runs. It's up to you. Yeah, absolutely. It's really good. Dead cells. It's definitely like, not a sleep hex. I think it was popular when it came out in early access almost a year ago, but it's 
Mm-hmm. It's weird. It feels like it's been out for much longer than a year. It feels yeah. like it's sort of one of those kind of games that have just been there for a long time now. Like I was almost expecting to see the knockoffs already. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's very successful synthesis of a lot of things that a lot of other games are doing, which is yeah. maybe one of the reasons that like the art's lovely. Like it yeah. looks great. Lots of really clever tricks as well with the mm. art that they've done. Like, you know, obviously they've done some normal mapping on stuff as well, but just the way they've handled gradients in the background. It's, it's, it's neat. There's lots of good art blogs by the, I guess the art director of it on, I think, Gama Sutra or something mm. like that. It's yeah, out. it's notable for I think being a very colourful game that's nonetheless quite gloomy, which mm. is not easy to pull off. Yeah. Like it's really rich in colour, like it's very orange and lots of deep oranges and greens and blues and purples. Um, and it's kind of brave enough to just do some levels in silhouette, you mm. know, that kind of thing. Like sort of not fully, but like environments that are heavily shadowed and that kind of thing. But it never really loses its sense of like here's just a really vibrant orange purple parallax scrolling backdrop that mm. you're gonna you're gonna lap up you animals <laughs> is what it says i mm. like how brave they've been with it over time as well they've they've really have gutted and changed and tweaked well i'm, mm. I'm trying to say more than tweak they've really changed a lot of the core systems in it over over the year it's been out in early access like the whole upgrade system i don't even remember what you but i wrote about it i wrote about the big change but I can't, Yeah, like it's, it's a total, different. like, you know, and I was really surprised when they were describing it to me, like you're admitting making these huge changes, like, but like, yeah, we, you know, yeah. they saw it as a live project and something that they were going to be learning from and not afraid to really change things around despite having huge power base. But it's almost like early access was legitimately. Yeah, it was used properly. <laughs> yeah, like a testing phase where the game changed. This is that, uh, another thing to observe about the company. Uh, they, uh, they pay everybody equally, no matter what the role. Wow. Yeah. It's yeah. like they're experimenting with, yeah, the idea that everybody at the studio, no matter what they do, is paid equally. Very mm. cool. Egalité. Yeah. Mm. French, you see, they are French, by the way. They are a French studio. Mm. Yeah, Motion Twin is the name of the developer. It's very good. I like it. Mm. I like mm. it. And I was wrong to get cross at it, but it is me. <laughs> Everyone should get cross with it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So what have you been playing, Alex? That's my Castlevania experience. Uh, I've been playing La Mulana 2, mm. which just came out two days ago. Uh, have you, have you, has anyone played the La, uh, La, Mula, mm-hmm. La, La Mulana? Well, what am it? It is another, <laughs> uh, Castlevania, you know, uh, Metroidvania wow. style mm. uh, platformer. Um, it's the season for it. Yeah. But, this one's yeah. kind of a bit more storied, like it's a bit more kind of has more history behind it. Like it's uh, it has is very much his own game. Um, it is uh, well, Spelunky actually is 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 based off a lot, like a lot of its conventions. Like it's inspired by a lot of Milana. I can, I'm really having trouble with saying. When was it. when was the first game released? Then is 2005. That? Oh, okay, oh, substantial time. So it was based on inspired by very old, so like 1987 kind of era MSX games um, made mm. by a Japanese company called Nigoro. Um, it is a, a dungeon crawler game, like a dungeon game in which you're going into ruins um, and trying to figure out the mysteries therein, uh, trying to penetrate deep into them. Uh, but before you are many puzzles and bosses and that sort of thing. Um, it's a game that I think Dark Souls directly is inspired by, I think. Mm. 
uh, it is filled with traps which kill you. And it is un- absolutely unapologetic about the fact that you'll stand on a switch and it will it no. will kill you. Unapologetic. <laughs> it, it makes no it makes no apology. It makes no podulies at all. It's Captain Ban's fault. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, go on, Alex. Uh, uh, it'll just kill you. Um, and so you have to learn from those mistakes. Um, but then it's a, it's sort of, you're, you're playing on single screens. There's no scrolling. So when you go to an, the next, um, uh, sort of room, like it sort of flicks to the next one. Um, you have a rudimentary map that shows you kind of where you are in the overall dungeon that's kind of divided into areas. Um, but the kind of the, the sort of fascinating thing about it is that there's lots of puzzles and the clues and the nature of the puzzles are hidden in um, text that you'll find. So you'll find bodies and kind of sort of um, not scrolls, but sort of uh, sort of plaques on the ground that will sort of give you a, a line of cryptic text, which you'll need to interpret. Or sometimes they'll be in the level architecture and you'll see kind of uh logo or like images that you'll need to interpret um and some of them are really obscure um some of them like i haven't got really very far in moana 2 in the first one i don't think anyone has finished that game i can't imagine it i didn't get that far with it and i probably played it for about four or five hours and just got really bogged down stuck and just sort of it's a in you know in the way that a, a um, a metroidvania game gives you many avenues you could could be going down but then often it'll gate it very clearly you know like you can't go here because it, the wall's too high and you can mm. see that you'll there'll be an item that gets you there in this one you can see you're at a dead end and you have no idea whether you're meant to be able to get past it and you're just not seeing the the solution to the puzzle or whether you're kind of and this is a game where it is willfully trying to trick you all the time so there'll be a thing saying oh make sure you you know you 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 whip the 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 uh these kind of um engravings like it then Got it. you whip the engraving and then there's an eye which has been sort of watching you on sort of one of the walls suddenly sparks electricity at you and then you're dead <laughs> and, it's, oh, and okay. it's, a, it's a trick is a trick has tricks to game and it's willful and, it, and it's got this really nice atmosphere of kind of sort of willful kind of piss take and like a lot of the, the writing is kind of uh very colloquial and sort of funny and silly um uh but actually the the law behind it is actually really sort of like bizarrely well like well built out extensively built out shall we say like um in the first game um you realize that that kind of the 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 world or the humanity or everything living on earth is is down to aliens having landed on earth uh and the the, the temple that you're uh investigating um is part of the aliens plan about how to claim back humanity what the, once it is developed enough to to join them and so like there's this kind of quite portentous sort of fantasy law going on going underneath it behind this sort of breezy stuff um but it's uh, the and the second one is nicely the, the the temple of the first game which you've kind of gone into and apparently you destroy and kind of in solving the the first game uh in the second game, you go back to that temple, but now it's a tourist attraction. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going in there because monsters have kind of re-emerged and you soon find that it's you're going to a new kind of alternative uh, temple, which is access through it. But um, yeah, like there's something about it which is very... Uh, like there's a lot about it which feels incredibly archaic. Like visually, 
it's kind of ugly. Like I'd say, like it's not a beautiful pixel art game, but it's definitely a style that's being gone for. Like and it's sort of, it's sort of weirdly painterly. It can be difficult to see if, if a block is something that you can walk past or not. Like some of them are breakable and, and some of them you'll overlap in a way that suggests that it moves and other ones that it won't. It's very like, again, it's a tricky game like that. Like it doesn't kind of want to give you anything easily, like mm. with consistency and things. Mm. Um, so it's, it's kind of, it's kind of ugly. The movement, I think, initially feels very weird and stiff. Like your jump is this weird sort of, um, very horizontal thing, but, uh, with a kind of acceleration once you start to push in the direction when you're, when you're, when you're jumping. But you actually, over time, feel, realize that it actually has little nuance onto it and you can actually cross spaces quite sort of, um, naturally. Um, it doesn't have any of the kind of beautiful parabola ring that you have in mm. something like Spelunky. This game, like, is based on sort of 1980s Japanese kind of games and therefore it has the kind of the kinds of physics that you saw in those. And it's like, it's definitely going for that. But it's the whip, for instance, but you know, the whip feels very kind of, wooden it's got a good sound to it but then you realize there's like little nuances so the way that spelunky and you uh, when you crack the whip in spelunky you hit behind and above you slightly yeah that's directly that's in moana as well like Mm. there's little nuances with everything Mm. um i yeah i kind of I, i really enjoy it like you start to sort of feel out the puzzles and uh and you know really get into this sort of trying to figure out the way the spaces kind of combine like the way that you walk over some floor and then a trap door opens and you fall through to the next bit and then there's some spike there and you kind of go ah thank you very much and you try to remember it for the next time mm. is that it's kind of how far do you get set back when you die uh not i mean uh it, it it's a uh it's a very uh, dark soulsy sort of like there are save points and right. you can walk between the save points so you've just got to remember to go back and save often but often you are only going to be it's a it's a platformer game so you can often get between spaces once you especially once you know the air your way very quickly so you're mm. talking about five minutes like it, it would be a, a reasonably punitive one it's good it's mm. a good game i like I like, I mean, the, the whole notion of the sort of misleading clues or the unreliable clues is super Dark Soulsy. Yeah. But kind of interesting. It kind of, that system in Dark Souls feels more organic because those messages are from players. Players. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, it's interesting. Like, and it's also the same problem of like, do you or don't you trust the clue? But well, a lot of these yeah. ones are usually from skeletons on the floor who mm. are like very clearly adventurers before you. Yeah, and they're, you but know, that so, is still yeah. the principle in Dark Souls, yeah. right? Where you see the blood stain on the ground, and you know yeah. someone died here. Like, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's playing off the same thing. Oh, there's another this weird little convention in it where you get equipped with like a sort of little tablety thing like a little handheld computer <laughs> with which some characters will send you messages a phone uh, they call it Ali. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the veneer like it's actually like a sort of little kind of handheld thing like it's not yeah but you install software into it which expands like so at the start you don't have a map but then you get to buy or i think you get given uh, a map app which you then have to go into the menu to switch on and then that uses a certain amount of memory in your in your oh, thing there's a whole sort of this weird system i've never gotten far enough into one of these games to see whether it's like this memory kind of thing is about you having to choose the ones you want to be running at any given time but like it's really weird like 
it's just thematically it's got nothing to do with going deep into <laughs> into into kind of like ancient temples it's like in um, breath of the wild when link gets an ipad <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's sort of like you know it inspired that in some way like mm. it is one of it's a game which has clearly got its fingers in all sorts of places which have done probably better like better things like probably <laughs> probably like you know they've taken elements of it and, and made better games out of them right but like you know sort of objectively like there's there's loads of stuff that's wrong with it but together you kind of think actually this is really good fun hmm hmm how do you spell Lamuana? Lamuana. It's la l a and then a hyphen. Then it's l m u l a n a. Right. Link in the show notes. Aye, aye, Captain. Aye, aye, Captain Bantz. Oh God, Captain Banter just looks like he's going to try and like get your mate's phone number outside a wine bar. <laughs> what prick, uh, Tom? What have you been up to? I've been uh, obsessively playing Yakuza Zero. Now on PC? Mm-hmm. Now on PC. The first game to arrive on PC. It's a prequel. Ever. Uh, <laughs> it's um, chronologically the first game in terms of where all the characters are at. Right. But there have been about 7 billion Yakuza games, and uh, they're all being gradually remastered um, or just otherwise renovated and released on PC over the coming years, it seems like. It seems like the Kiwami's coming out, I think. And you expect to see that trend continue. It's um, a third-person open-world action game that's also sort of an adventure game, really. It's kind of... It's a very talky game about gangsters doing violence on the mm. one hand. Um, but on the other hand, it's a kind of short game about short stories, ludicrous, absurdist short stories in otherwise serious gangster um, locations in Tokyo and Osaka. So you could, one minute, you're having a very intense showdown with a Yakuza boss. Uh, the, the plot's genuinely excellent. Loads of gangster intrigue. It, it very, it very much like, it does plot at you. You're never involved in dialogue options or anything like that. You're there to sort of watch a cool gangster flick for certain portions before going out into the open world and then going into my young parlor and playing a very, very well made my young simulator. Um, you could play a game of shogi for money. Uh, you, you can run, as I have, have been doing obsessively, uh, run a, a hostess club. And uh, I, I spent all of Sunday making a billion yen from my hostess <laughs> club. Uh, and then I poured all of it into my character's uh, upgrades. So he kicks way better now than before he <laughs> unleashed his, uh, his, uh, his business. And it's, um, it's a game that takes such great joy in the culture of an inner city space. Um, all the, the food is just meticulously described and feels authentic. Uh, you go to a whiskey bar and it's got like beautiful, authentically modelled whiskey bottles, accurately modelled for all of its whiskeys. It's obsessed with these little things that make up a make an urban space feel lived in and feel like a living place. Mm. Um, and it's does it with like such a kind of clash of tones that is really exciting all the time. That you can one moment be very serious and then it could instantly be incredibly melodramatic, and then it could be a boss fight, and then it could be. Uh, I need to, I'm on a sub quest to buy a porn magazine for a small child. Oh, that quest, that <laughs> quest is so good. Uh, which turns, <laughs> which, uh. No, but it pulls it off. Yeah. It, it pulls it off. Like, <laughs> it really, <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> uh, it's, that, that's kind of like the hostess stuff and that quest are kind of indicative of how Yakuza Zero and, um, maybe the series as a whole kind of pulls this stuff off where it does stuff that, <laughs> When you describe it to other people, they're like, 
what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing buying the small child of porn magazine in this game? But it's actually extremely funny uh, and stupid. Uh, so it, it turns into a stealth game where <laughs> Kiryu is so embarrassed about doing this that he has to evade the gaze of all the like people he sort of knows in the area. <laughs> so like uh, he'll be walking along and then uh, like someone from his work will suddenly turn up and she'll, she'll, she'll then run, walk a patrol route around the area <laughs> that you then have to dodge in order to get to this vending machine in this seedy back alley to buy this magazine. Uh, and then, yeah, he hands it to the kid and says, uh, put it under your bed. Oh, no, he says, don't open this for another few years and take some personal advice from me. Don't put it under your bed. It will be found. <laughs> <laughs> but it somehow manages to find this kind of, like, sort of human warmth in that, which is, mm. like, that, that he's acknowledging, like, this kid needs to be able to explore, like, the you know, the world. Yeah. And, like, this is something that exists. And therefore, who is he to, to like, to say that, like, deny that, like, to him? And, yeah. like... It somehow manages to. Is it, there's a bit in there where he's make of, it work. <laughs> there's a bit where he's justifying it to himself, where Kiddu looks up and um, plinky plonky sad piano music plays, and he says, <laughs> "I remember when adults always used to be jerks. I'm not going to be that adult jerk. I'm going to do what this kid wants <laughs> yeah. me to do and make his life better." <laughs> and it, it's it's so kind of it's kind of knowing. Its characters are surprisingly warm, considering they are like gangsters, and uh, I, I kind of. Uh, it's hard to find stuff to compare it to because it's set in op- small open world locations, so city blocks that basically evolve over throughout the series. This one's set in the 80s during the kind of massive financial rush. And it, it comments on this in loads of just slapstick ways. So whenever you punch someone in combat, money flies out of them. <laughs> and uh, it, the, all the game is just like everyone's steeped in, in cash all the time. And But there's also loads of homelessness and mm, like the streets are really scruffy. Yeah, and yeah, and it, it kind of captures this hedonism very, very well. And it's actually socially aware in that way you know what i mean like it, it looks like a big stupid punchy game a lot of the time but it is actually it has something to say uh, it has something to parody and the parody feels much smarter and more worthwhile and culturally interesting than say grand theft auto for example because gta was going to be the comparison i was mm. going to ask about yeah because gta is also a crime sim with wide tonal variance <laughs> and a sort a sense of humor like mm. that's fair to say yeah like, is the difference simply the humanity? It's partly that, but I think it's more that it's rooted... Um, so loads of stuff that GTA does is rooted in cinema portrayals right. of stuff. Whereas a load of stuff that, uh, in Yakuza is just rooted in life in inner city Japan in this period. So mm. like the, um, hostess clubs are a thing there. And that's like, a, it feels like it's commenting on a thing that really happens in an interesting way. Whereas um, GTA's equivalent would just be, a, you know, a parody of a heist movie. Which isn't speaking to well, me. It'll like, go, it'll do a scene in a, like a GTA will do a scene in a kind of, um, you know, in a strip club. Right. But it will never, like, it doesn't feel like it's going to, it cares about like what a strip club yeah. is. It's just, yeah. this is what, where gangsters do stuff. Whereas, like, whereas in, in Yakuza, like you're going to run one and you're going to know what women do in these, these places. And it is like a little bit lascivious about it. Mm. And like you are exploiting these women and it tries to dig you out of that by, by having people who are like use the women worse in other ones that you're competing, they are the bad guys. But, 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 but by actually treating it as a real place with mm. a fun, which a function and a kind of like a very believable function within a city, like a kind of very credibly drawn city, it's saying, you can kind of make up your own mind. 
I suppose it's the sense that like this is a depiction, like obviously a, 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 a highly fictionalized and arcadey version of inner city Japan made by people who have first, like who really know those places. That sounds like the the vibe. Because I guess like I, I've been trying to articulate over the years the different ways in which I've kind of gone off Rockstar writing and Rockstar world design. But I think it's fair to say that like Rockstar don't make games about the places where Rockstar games are made at all. Right. Yeah. Like Grand Theft Auto isn't about Edinburgh. Edinburgh. You know? And like it's always going to be at a remove and it's a cinematic idea of America specifically and that kind of thing. And I think, well, Yakuza is warm towards him. Like it likes people. Right. <laughs> and mm. Grand Theft Auto hates people. Like, mm. you know, that that those games are everybody is corrupt horrible nasty hmm. people like i don't are there any sympathetic characters in grand theft auto There's, i'm not sure there is uh i always i, I may, may have said this on the podcast before but it, it pisses me off it still pisses me off i think i think i don't know if it was the same writing team but there's a a brief moment where grand theft auto played with the idea of having more sympathetic characters and it's the lost and the damned expansion oh, for yeah. grand theft auto 4 yeah, yeah. the biker gang who like that whole story is kind of people who care about each other trying to do the right thing and it's obviously got crime tragedy in it but it's quite positive about people mm. and about people kind of coming together to look after each other and it clearly is n- it's, it's not n- as fun though is it what i like it? that a lot you like it? no the thing that pisses me off to this day is how those characters are used in grand theft auto 5 oh, yeah because they yeah. all reappear mm. in grand theft auto 5 specifically in trevor's introduction mission so trevor is the kind of hillbilly psycho in grand theft auto 5 and i don't even want to say out loud the stuff that happens in his intro but it's mm. basically just um, it in, feels very much like debt settling amongst uh, different producers within uh, yeah. the Rockstar He basically studios. abuses and murders all of the likable characters from The Lost and Damned in his first mission. <laughs> like it opens, obviously it opens with horrible things happening, but then it opens with him um, brutally and graphically curb stomping to death the likable protagonist of The Lost and Damned. Oh, Christ. Like, and it's clearly this, again, it goes back to that hatred. We're not thing. getting that anymore. Yeah, exactly. Back no, to no, hate. no more of this. Yeah. Back to, I, yeah, that's the reason I hate Grand Theft Auto 5, but like, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. Yakuza, like, likes people. Like, it has some nasty characters in it, but like, in general, they're, you know, even some characters that initially come across as really nasty, like, you realize really actually, you know, you, you get to see other sides of them or you get to sympathize with them. Yeah. The, um, the actual sort of uh, the crime bosses themselves, mm. uh, these just extraordinarily drawn caricatures initially, like the, the way they look is just incredible. And obviously they've paid obsessive amounts of attention to detail to the tattoos specifically and the type of clothing, the oh. different levels of Yakuza wear. Um, and when you actually sort of get to know them, they're all playing this, as it's all great crime stories are like this. They're, they're all playing this game where they're locked into it and they're trying to outsmart one another. And they're actually, they're very clever people, even though they've pursued very gross lines of work. And there is, there are codes of honor within these structures, even though they're doing terrible things to people. And just existing within that as a sort of floating character is really fascinating and a great sort of, it's great food for stories. You actually play as two characters in Yakuza Zero. Um, hmm. and they live in different places. So one lives in Osaka and one lives in Tokyo. Um, and one of them is an established, uh, club owner. And if you want to, if you want to understand the sort of conflicting tones of Yakuza Zero, just you go onto YouTube and watch Majima's intro sequence. The way the game <laughs> introduces you to this character is absolutely extraordinary and very, very funny. It instantly makes him likable. Yeah. Um, is basically he's, he's in his beautiful, opulent club and he's dealing with an asshole 
uh, and just a total asshole who's just a customer customer who's um like abusing the women at the table and he treats him with like painful painfully aggressive courtesy (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and with a kind of spectacular dancing manner uh, that earns him the respect and adoration of everyone else in the club who realizes that this guy's an asshole and the way he sort of shows him up and like holds off on violence for so 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 long is just an an outstanding piece of character introduction and and just extremely entertaining at the same time it's yeah it's it's good stuff one of my so this is the chronologically the first game yeah. in this in the within the fiction. Yes. Yeah. But so do you having played other yakuzas do you know what happens to these characters and does that matter? So um I haven't I I'm told um by Phil Savage who's played a lot of the series that uh it's there's a lot of kind of tragic irony at work for um, some of the characters that you encounter and uh so Kiryu is the series protagonist he's one of the people two people you play in mm. zero so he's the guy who will always be there and uh he suffers a little bit in this game from being his kind of set up story that kind of sets right. up for the person he then becomes whereas Majima who's um more of a side character in other games is his own game in this and he's already really well established they sort of use that to mm. give you something, something to latch on to while you're being introduced to this other series um so yeah the the, the story in Yakuza 0 uh, the central conceit is something called the empty lot, which is a three meter square piece of shit alleyway. Um, that nonetheless is like the key to a massive land deal. Uh, it becomes that massive crime gangs across Japan are fighting for. And, uh, it has this, it spins this wonderful kind of, uh, this wonderful web of intrigue and deceit and murder out from this innocuous, piece of crap land hmm. which in itself is a comment on like uh 1980s property ownership and how how that turns into corruption how that kind of how that mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't matter what the thing is that it's almost the humans will find a way to corrupt anything and and, and and go to war over the smallest you know most innocuous thing and that that's that's a fucking cool story yeah it's, it's like, characters as well and through that you you learn about Japanese property law, and mm. you get you also learn about like the the, the state of wow, um, that's what I've always been wanting from again. Chinese immigrants of yeah. the time, like yeah, it's really interesting. really interesting. Like yeah. I didn't know anything about like the you know the the place of Chinese immigrants in in Japanese cities at the time. Like yeah. it's fascinating, really, and, like really loads of really fine detail. And then suddenly you uh, then you go outside, like being hunted down by some other yakuza club uh, gang sorry uh used to having to take a side side quest uh, by, by just chatting to somebody who wants to talk to you in the street and then you end up um uh uh taking part in a, a michael jackson video <laughs> in which uh, you have to fight off zombies or at least people dr- playing zombies uh as michael jackson danced down the street and like, so it basically uses one. Well, it doesn't have many mechanics. Like basically, there is one mechanic. Well, two mechanics. One which is running from place to place, mm. and the other is punching. <laughs> and so, like, basically, it it manages to use that in the most like like delightful way. Yeah. But like, one of my favorite things about it is how it it gets big fist fights into the game. Mm. Like whenever it can. So you will have these big scenes and it like, it has to think, oh, I haven't had a fight for a while. Um, and that was quite a climactic moment. Um, you know, this moment where you went to a big crime boss and managed to do a deal with him. So you're friends with him now, but we need a fight. So 
I know. He leaves his office and he has his, all his men fight him anyway. <laughs> yep, we'll do that. Yep. And then so starts a 15 minute long <laughs> brawl that's, <laughs> then the, 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 like rolls through this huge great mm. Yakuza headquarters out into the beautiful Japanese gardens. He picks up like benches and kind of like, <laughs> yeah. like sort of fonts, like stuff in the gardens, smashes over people's head out the gate and like bam, gun. Best friends now, but like he has everything and, and beaten up all his all his all his men. So good. Yeah, it's got a great sense of humour, and I think it's been um, seems to have been translated very well. Like it seems like the characterisation has survived all the localization, and uh, but the voice acting is really good in it as well. Like as far as I can tell, and obviously I don't understand the language, but you get a tremendous sense of gravitas from those exchanges. It's really, I fuck, I love it. I really love mm. it. I, I can say that about every game. I've been on the podcast recently, but I've, I've played so many games I loved recently, and th- this has been a huge surprise. And it, it feels like starting an awesome novel series because there's so much more Yakuza to still to play. Yeah, um, and all of it coming to PCs. Well? I don't know. Um, it's all available on like I think a lot of them are PS3 games, and right. I, I don't know um, like what the timeline might be. But it's, it, it'll they, take a while, I imagine. Yeah, there's loads of them. But there's it's one of them set in like feudal Japan, isn't there? There is there is one of those. Apparently, that's like. Probably never gonna come right, um, but yeah, there's an obscure one where it is set set in the past. I don't know how that is possibly going to work. But <laughs> yeah, pieces there is awesome. Watch uh, Goro Majima's intro. Uh, that that's a good show notes thing to link. I think mm. so that'll tell you a lot about the game. Oh, and also the, oh, where he learns new fight moves. Oh yeah, and he just sees somebody. <laughs> Goro Majima has this um, learns like one of his fighting styles is break dancing, yeah. <laughs> like capoeira kind of thing, or just break dancing. Break dancing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> And he, um, and when he learns this, he sees someone break dancing and go, like, cause he's good at fighting. Oh, I see the opportunity. He just goes, the, the camera zooms into his face and he goes, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> and, uh, when it happens to kill you, like, it, it does exactly the same crash scene on him as well. Except he goes, that's rad. <laughs> 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 oh man, I really want to play this now. And it might just be like a drunk man falling over, and he's like, "That's rad." And now That's I know rad how to fight a completely different style. One of my three styles has been unlocked. <laughs> oh, and then there's all the side things. Is like we haven't even talked about like the fact that there's there's a singing mini game, there's a oh, dancing yeah, mini game, yeah. which is a really good dancing mini game, yeah. where these incredibly taciturn Yakuza <laughs> people that you've been playing who are like like usually like sort of, of like expressionless, like strong people. And they, just, they just go on to the dance thing and start this incredibly flamboyant dancing. It's so good. Uh, there's, there's like, um, loads of Japanese dice games, like mm. so many different types of Japanese street dice games for gambling games. Mm. Like, and there's, yeah, Mahjong, there's, mm. there's, you watch, yeah, there's some pretty gross stuff in it. There's, there is, yeah. You can go and watch kind of soft porn. I've not done that yet, but <laughs> there's, there's a building for that. Yeah. Music. Yeah. But that's not very nice. And there are all these calling cards that you pick up. Oh, yeah, that's true. There is the, like there's, there's some seamy shit in it, but like somehow it manages to transcend all that. Mm. Yeah, I wonder if there's something in just if if it's sort of like relatively kind-hearted and funny the rest of the time, it can survive some of that stuff. If it if it, if it doesn't feel, uh, you know, I don't know. Well, again, the, the great Grand Theft Auto example is like women in Grand Theft Auto do not come across well. Like they, you know, they are treated as victims or or kind Carindans. of bitches mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and 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 like again like because yakuza likes people and the, the comparison i would make there is saints row 
where Saints Row, like the latter ones, like when it kind of when it, when it kind of learns its lesson about not trying too hard to be GTA, and it's sort mm-hmm. of like it also has a lot of like pretty kind of you know um, there's a lot of you know sort of TNA stuff in, in Saints Row and a lot of kind of prurient stuff, but because it's so I'm thinking specifically of Saints Row three and four, but like because it's so. Saints Row really likes people as well. Like that's its other, that's its quality. I don't know about how much I love four particularly for that, but it kind of gets away with it for me because it is sort of, it just comes across as kind of daft and celebratory and overall positive rather than like, it's trying to necessarily like condemn Hmm. a certain type of person or a certain type of life or anything like that. I don't know if that's a similar comparison. Kind of, yeah. It's also like, it's, it's kind of, there is, there's this character that goes around just in a pair of underpants who's oh, yeah. like a complete pervert and like, <laughs> and you know, whenever he pops up, your character says, go away. You're just <laughs> a freak. Just keep away. <laughs> if you met the guy who uh, is going around stealing people's trousers. <laughs> no. he, uh, he, yeah, he, he demands your trousers and, the, and then you have to fight him and he's really tough fight. It's really <laughs> fucking difficult. Does he take away your trousers if you lose? Um, I, I didn't lose. I should have. <laughs> and then they have like a, a a big long heart to heart about why you're stealing trousers and at the end it's like so you're going to change your ways it's like fuck it no <laughs> and apparently he's going to be like a roaming miniboss now that's the other thing there are roaming minibosses and uh, there's a guy called Mr. Shakedown yeah. and uh, whenever you see him he's like built like a brick shit house he's like the size of the Hulk and he's got a massive like, a number above his head and that, that's how much cash he's carrying at any given point and if he sees you he just like marches very slowly to, like slightly quicker towards you and you get into a fight and if he beats you he steals all of your money uh, but <laughs> if you so when you see him at the start of the game you just fucking run whenever you see him and, and it keeps track of where he is at any given point on the minimap <laughs> amazing where Mr. Shakedown is so uh, it's like oh <laughs> I was going to turn left to place my own. Mr. Shakedown is fucking in this area, so I'm going to go the other way and yeah. you know, do the place of Shogi instead. Um, and except, you know, as you get better at combat, the tables eventually turn. And it turns out that number above his head is just, you know, bait. It's like, oh, I could go take him down. But each time you beat him, he gets tougher and tougher. And uh, it's, it's just irrelevant to the, the, anything else in the game. The game's full of these just self-contained, jokey, fun huh. things. And, and because I love the idea of games that double down on a small space but make it detailed mm. and let it evolve and um like dragon age 2 yeah uh does that but this game does that with just so much kind of love and dedication to recreating this type of place at this type of time at this particular time uh that it's it's a pleasure to sink into it and spend like 100 hours there which is oh. it's a big game sounds great mm, it's good is that out now uh it's either today or tomorrow hmm Damn, that's a, this is a difficult weekend to figure out, a difficult couple of weeks to figure out what big open world games mm. coming to the PC for the first time. Yeah, Monster Hunter is out. Yeah, it's end of yeah, next, next week, week or the week after, yeah. Yeah, nice. I've already played that for 100 hours. Yeah, what is it? It's Monster Hunter Ultimate. It's Monster Hunter World. Right, yeah. Hang on, what, which one is that? Is that one? It's the most recent one, but it's okay. the first one to come to PC. Mm-hmm. Dang. It's good. Could play it all over again. Should we do some questions from questions, as a wise man once said? I can't think of anything better. Yes, you can. Yeah. <laughs> but let's do questions and questions okay. anyway. Our first up question, fucked it up already, <laughs> comes from Veer Serif, who writes, Dear Kratos Crowbars, oh. a little hint here, since it keeps popping up on the pod, please use this question to talk consoles. What are some of the most memorable console exclusives, whether because the game was good or interestingly bad, that you've played recently? It's from Veer Serif. Oh, oh, 
I've been playing Uncharted 2. I've been playing the the, rem- the remaster, mm. remaster, remaster, the remaster, um, which is really good. Even now, it's quite old now, isn't it? Two thousand and eight, ten, two thousand and nine. Who knows? Like that. Nobody could possibly know the answer to this. The very sands of time have not dulled its burnish. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it was like Prince of Persia: Sands of Time, which it is a bit, um, but it's not that, is it? It's, just... it's not that. It's good. Okay. It's not is that. It's um uh <laughs> like it's, it's it has this in wonderful pace to it where it just rolls along and like the story happens and scrapes it's a, caper, ahead. It? It's a real it's a caper. rollicking ride. It's a rollicking ride. Mm-hmm. I was surprised because I I I actually found my copy of Uncharted 3 for PS3 like a maybe a year ago put it into my old PS3 to play it and mm. felt surprisingly kind of stiff and weird because I've been playing for Christopher. I'm sorry, Alex. <laughs> you keep wandering into these situations. Uh, I've been playing Uncharted 4 and um, and that makes movement so fluid and it, mm. it looks mm-hmm. so beautiful and it was all a bit of a shock to go back to play PS3 as well. But um, the, re- the remaster of uh, Uncharted 2 is really rather good and mm. I enjoyed it. And I think they might have brushed up a few bits that were kind of like sticky points because I remember there was a river... <laughs> Christopher. That was because the Marsh, <laughs> I didn't say anything. The Marsh looked at me <laughs> in a, he said sticky, didn't he, kind of way. And then I laughed. And then you this laughed. This is half the English language you've now um, barred me <laughs> from. It exactly, 50% of it is wanking. <laughs> <laughs> there's a river scene in the, in the city. Like, there's a city bit and there's a river scene where you've got to cross it. And I seem to remember getting stuck on it because you're getting fired at for ages beforehand. But this time, well, straight across. It was wonderful. Anyway, it's a to good still console game. Good. Excellent, yeah. Mm. Uncharted 2. Best Uncharted game. Might be. I think. Yeah. I don't remember 3 well enough to be able to... It's a bit yeah. of a slog, I see, around 3. Yeah. And then, um, I like the, I like the last one a lot, although it's very self-indulgent. It's so kind of aware of the heavy weight of the series that it's carrying, and yeah, it tries to do a little too much, but it does really tie it off in a nice bow. Very, very close to a, a masturbation. <laughs> is that, is I don't think so. I think, I think we can say tie They really off. pulled it off. They really pulled it off. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you've been playing a lot of God of War. I have been playing an awful lot of God of War. Too much God of War. I liked, I really, really loved, uh, God of War for about 10 hours. And then it carries on for what seems like another 50 or 60 hours. I don't quite know how long a game it is. But, uh, by the end of it, after you've fought bad guys which are identical to each other but have different colours, mm-hmm. um, and really have picked up no good at armour or weapons for, for substantial amount of time it does does feel a bit a bit of a how did you feel good. about about being promised you're going to go through to the final bit and then oh god it happens there's so many times you're denied <laughs> uh, the kind of closure of the story again you keep you, obviously it's, it has this kind of real nice driving purpose to the entire plot uh, which is set out immediately from the very beginning of the game and you keep on getting promised that you're going to go to this place and then the place changes and then you almost... Oh, sorry, we're closed on Tuesday. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah>. No, <laughs> it, is, it is as frustrating as that. It's, it's just, and you're just, oh, come on. And you want to go back to other places you've always been to a bunch of times. It's just, I don't know. I felt like they were, they had an amazing 10 hour game and they, they, they made the mistake of stretching it out. Mm. And I think it doesn't do any of the systems any good. Like, uh, like the combat is just so tight and, and, 
in the first few hours. And then the more powers you get, at least I found that I was relying on these fairly cheap powers, which are sort of like, you know, spamming area of effect things and uh, essentially waiting for those cooldowns to kind of tick back up before I re-engaged rather than actually using any of the kind of the movement or the dodging or the parries. And it feels like uh, the game just kind of loses, loses a sense of what it's what it's trying to be mm. in an attempt to extend itself. But it's amazing. <laughs> ah, I did it again. <laughs> but the um, <laughs> but it is a it's an astonishingly beautiful game. And I was mm. I was fully on board with the whole uh, Dad of War uh, reimagining mm. of it. Yeah. And like, I, I who would have ever thought that they could have made Kratos into a credible character of any kind? Unbelievable, yeah. <laughs> isn't it? One yeah. hell of a turnaround. Yeah. Sure. A real, real transformation, mm. and all the all the voice acting is stellar. All the performances are amazing. Some amazing side characters, beautiful interpretations of uh, Norse myth. Yeah, yeah. And you know, in the past, it, those games have just been essentially uh, completely illiterate um, with their regards to mythology. Like David Jaff, obviously, just uh, you know saw some kind of titsy picture of a harpy once says oh, i'll put that in a game yeah rip its wings off oh. um, <laughs> and, and now the way it's dealing with norse mythology is incredibly sensitive but it's also very clever about the way it's reinterpreting the gods as being essentially amoral which they are they're mm. always depicted as amoral in throughout you know yeah. all these kind of pantheistic gods they're all just humans writ large with terrible terrible flaws out for themselves and it really deals with that in quite a clever way mm. and Kratos is you know instead instead of just lining up all of these kind of big beasts from mythology just so you can punch them it's much it's it's setting out why why the gods are hateful you know they, yeah. they're essentially completely amoral beings who have all this power and don't treat people well with it you know and mm. that's and and the Kratos's cynicism towards them is really well founded in this and it's you know like fair enough like <laughs> if you were to play like God of War any of the preceding ones in front of somebody who's game naive uh, God of War epitomizes everything that they think games mm. are yeah. and probably hate. And this one is just, uh, just incredibly smart in a lot of ways. Mm. I D played in front of my mum and she was kind of not all to, she did seem to have her, her assumptions about what games are fairly well served back yeah. to her, <laughs> which was basically punching people <laughs> and smashing their heads on rocks. Yeah, I tried to time it so that whenever my girlfriend saw it, it was during one of the cutscenes where he's being nice to his son, rather than when he's <laughs> pickaxing somebody in half and then ripping their two halves apart in a <laughs> yeah. shower of gore. Yeah. Uh, but mum, it's really good. Look, look, we're, we're going on a boat ride. He's really Bermier's woke going to tell us about <laughs> <laughs> the myths. It's definitely uh, kept to the series a sense of scale. Is it, is all, they've always been games about being a tiny speck on the back of a god-sized beast. And uh, when you meet, like... Um, just the colossal the world serpent yeah. oh i just want to so talk to that word, word world serpent yeah. all the time the, the, i don't <laughs> need to read me bedtime stories it's amazing yeah. <laughs> it's, great, it's a great bit of um, sound design and um it's one of the few times where like um a pad rumble synchronizing with the noise um creates a kind of a, a sense of a titan speaking and this kind of mm. alternative tone it's, it's a fantastic moment i think it's fucking awesome yeah yeah oh, man. yeah it really is I want to go back to it as well now. Yeah, yeah. Any other console games anyone's been playing? I've, mm. I've dipped back to, back into Persona Five, and I've been uh, I've never been so disoriented. Um, upon revisiting an RPG, you know, when you sort of take a massive hiatus, and I just like open up in uh, like 
some underground subway. I was like, I've literally no idea who this person is that I'm controlling or what sort of stage of the plot I'm in, even though I loved Persona 5, you know, yeah. sunk a hundred hours into it. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to try and leverage my way back into that a bit by bit. All games should have like summaries, catch up summaries of what's going on. Mm. Just need to find the notebook in Persona 5 that tells me uh, who I am. <laughs> Why are we on the subway? <laughs> Whose mind are we in? <laughs> yeah. I haven't played a console game in ages. Genuinely ages. I think the last thing I was playing regularly was Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle. Mm. Oh, yeah. It's mm. pretty good. Yeah. yeah it's, it's pretty good. good. Um, mostly in the fact that it just sort of feeds back to, you know, Firaxis and, and, and Julian Gollop's new company that, um, XCOM needed, uh, a jump. <laughs> it needs the ability to throw your mates at other mates. <laughs> that game's super, set up rallies. super awesome until a very specific point where the battle zones instantly become too big for the game and yeah. it's really disorienting mm. uh, and then from that moment onwards that the game was broken for me but there's a beautiful sort of first eight hours to it and it sort of proves that you can apply there's two different formulas that work with everything one is XCOM weirdly <laughs> and the other is the sort of Mario hub world with unlockable spokes from getting stars mm. and my kind of takeaway from that is that like either of those ideas can be applied to any game and it's probably better for it <laughs> like if you're if you're sub, you know like Deus Ex you should be collecting big glowy stars in every level that yeah, unlocks the next lovely. cyberpunk dystopia nice. from the hub area, yeah. right? Yeah. Whatever, David Serif's bedroom, whatever. <laughs> yeah, the Princess Peach's castle. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the other is the uh, XCOM. Apparently there is no... Like, if, if it can work for fucking Toad and Donkey Kong, then mm. there is no excuse not for every game not to be XCOM. <laughs> I've, been playing, I've been playing Captain Toad. Mm. That's a lovely little game. Mm. Do you know it? I, I knew the first one, but I um, played, there's a new one coming out, isn't there? It is out. Well, it's this remake of the first one on um, oh, okay. on, um, on Switch, but it's mm. yeah, like these little toy-like um, kind of three-dimensional levels, which uh, you are Captain Toad or Toadette, mm. <laughs> Toadette, what a name. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> they can't jump; they can only walk along. To, like, That's where you draw the line. <laughs> <laughs> Um, they can only walk along strats, flat surfaces, uh, and these levels are basically puzzles about how to guide them from, to the exit. And mm. you won't be moving platforms for them or timing the things that the enemies to avoid. Really lovely little jewel toy-like little kind of intricate little spaces that you've got to kind of puzzle boxes for you to kind of work out. Lovely. Mm. Mm. I'm putting off the end of Zelda because I don't want it to be over. I just love being in the world so much and go back to it, but I'm just like, I'm going to have to just go and do it at some point and just say goodbye to the game <laughs> because yeah. I know there's not going to be another one or anything like that for a long time not for a long mm. time mm. yeah that's still a kind of once in a blue moon kind of thing that game we never did do that uh, Breath of the Wild no. pod no, it's a little sure. bit late now <laughs> it's a bit late now Alex how fresh are your I can't remember on? anything about it exactly. what happens in it <laughs> so uh, wolf. you get a horse you get a lot of horses, horses. you can horse game yeah you Everyone in the world is a bit horny for Link. <laughs> That's one of my main takeaways from Breath of the Wild. It's one of the things I find most charming about its writing of people. Is you go to like any town, it's like, do you want to get my chickens? You know what I mean? There's apples outside. <laughs> Constant. The podcast isn't doing justice to your eyebrow movements. <laughs> it's very unrelenting, very, unrelentingly yeah. horny for Link. Gonna have to get the world serpent out after this. <laughs>
Oof. Ooh. Oh, it's a, it's a bit, that's, uh, that's the spiced rum I wasn't ready for. That's um, a bad too far. Yeah, exactly. We've, we've barely touched the captain banter as well. I think, I think in anything the branding changed is rather, has rather, uh, changed the nature of this experience. Also the fact that we were pre-drinking a little bit, uh, doesn't help. Our next question comes from Charles. <clears throat> Charles writes, dear spiked horn and the spire. Ooh. Hmm. Like it. Over the past few years, I found myself going through periods of intense interest in and desire to play some game or another, thinking about it at work, finding little slivers of time at home to play, etc., followed by a sudden disinterest in the game. These periods are usually a couple of weeks to a couple of months long. It's happened with all kinds of games, Overwatch, Path of Exile, Stardew Valley, etc. I feel like this interest to disinterest cycle is messing up my enjoyment of games, which are meant to be more long form, as I rarely finish long or deep games before hitting the disinterest period. I remember a time in the past where I could enjoy longer games like The Elder Scrolls Oblivion at a more reasonable level and for a longer time, and I feel like I used to get more total joy from each game back then. My question is, have you ever experienced this sort of cyclical burnout? And if so, what do you do to mitigate it? Do you have any theories about why this might happen? And that's more than one question. Thanks for reading. Uh, and that's Charles. Um, I also wanted to read a, follow- a second question, because we actually had two questions this month that kind of touched on this subject, so I thought it would be good to read both of them, so we can answer them both at once. The other one comes from Henrik, who writes... Hello, Kreps and Croman. I have a problem. In the past, I've played a bunch of story games. But nowadays, when I'm going to start a long story game, I think to myself, that takes too much time. Wouldn't it be more productive to play a roguelike or something and watch a TV series at the same time? So that's what I do. I play Spelunky, Dead Cells, WoW or Hearthstone and games like that that don't require your full attention and watch TV series or YouTube clips at the same time. Now, my two questions. What can I do to break away from this the kind of thinking because I love long story games and I really want to play them but I'm having a hard time starting them also have any of you had this or similar problems in your gaming career thanks for the great pod mm-hmm. so thank you both for your uh yeah have you experienced this kind of burnout anybody regularly I think I'm like <laughs> over specific games though because his problem was he was playing a, a single game too intensely right and then well, sort of like the game enters your sort of field of it's like enthusiasm sort of big games big mm. game like, you're really into something for two weeks and then it's dead to you yeah. I don't have enough time to play games that intensely so mm. I, that doesn't doesn't usually happen yeah. to me but I have found that when this happens to me it is usually because it's usually a sign that, like, I'm not actually really super enjoying. I don't want to, like, psychoanalyze it too much. But, like, there's something, like, I'm sort of just burning out on the thing because I'm not doing something else, if that makes sense. Mm. Like, I'm sort of playing something intensely because I'm avoiding something else. Usually a life thing, like, work or, or something. And so, whereas, like, if I am just playing... Basically, it's the opposite side to what you just said, Marsh. Like, if I am playing a game for a few hours a day and just getting through it at my own pace and enjoying it, that's probably because I'm busy in other regards. Mm. Probably a good thing, if that makes sense. Hmm. I feel like, you know, games at the moment kind of promote a bit of this sort of burnout thing when it's the only thing you do. So maybe you should ration yourself. Is that the advice? You should. I guess so. Has, but then, I don't know, going to the, the, the second question, the way they're talking about trying to maximize your time or playing games by playing games which are low, low brain power so you can actually do something else. I think I've heard a lot of anecdotes about people trying to do this with all kinds of mediums where, you know, they'll watch a television program but be listening to a podcast on double speed at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's just a, just there's an overwhelming amount of media that you now feel in order to stay current, you need to consume yeah. all of it. Yeah. And I, I think that's a terrible pressure. I think um, you just have to make peace with the fact that you can't now really ever be fully expert in any medium that you just need to let things go <laughs> and maybe yes. just pick and choose the things that you engage with um, yeah. and then try and treat them gently 
in some way. Yeah, to make like it's, it feels like both cases could do sort of like it's it's basically pick that game, mm. try not to be distracted by the massive Steam get list, like yeah. which like my I have a horrific Steam list of I've I tried favoriting some games I was desperate to like really want to finish, mm. and so they just remain at the top of the list like like shaming me every time i log mm. in and i'll play a chunk of game think oh i'm really into this really into this and i think it mean it it just i think the solution for me would be just to, like you're going to play this one game like yeah blinker all the others like let's think about that it's one. kind of what i started doing with pillars of eternity where it's just like yeah. i'll play an hour of this this is my game yeah. <laughs> like i do think um I thought about this about my own sort of life recently, like having a bit of a clear out, getting rid of, like, there's, I think it's a healthy thing to do every now and then, which is like, get rid of every book you know you're never actually going to read or read again, you right. know, like yeah. just get rid of it because you might think you have all the edge cases of like, oh, but I will, I fancy reading, you know, whatever. Hmm. But actually the enjoyment you get from not having the stuff cluttering up your home is probably worth the seven quid you might have to spend to buy that thing hmm. back should you ever actually want to read it. Yeah, you know, and like I feel that way. Like today, I was looking, you know, what can I clear up from our TV cabinet? Because I'm a big part of PlayStation games. Things like Shadow of Mordor. That if I am realistic with myself, I mm. keep thinking I'll get back to that. I am never. I will. <laughs> I am going to die before I get back to the original Shadow of Mordor. Right? Mm. Like I bought the uh, DMC Devil May Cry Special Edition on PlayStation Four, a game I've already completed on Xbox 360. And PC. <laughs> Do I need to own that? Does the kind of like little tickling kind of thought of like, ah, oh, I was going to do it again on PS4. No, I'm not. Maybe that should go. You know what I mean? Just going through this process of like, actually, what am I actually going to play? And what For download to games, I still think like just deleting them works. Like you still own them. You can yeah. Them. I, um, I recently deleted every single game of my PC and only reinstalled things when I wanted to play it. That's and that idea. was a really good exercise. I did, yeah, but then I just started reinstalling stuff. <laughs> like I did, like it just hurt my internet connection. It was annoying when my friends wanted to play Battlefield and it's like oh, three days later and 70 <laughs> gig. <laughs> but it was really worthwhile. Obviously it saved a lot of, of, of hard disk space, which is kind of why I did it. But it really teaches you yeah. what do I actually click on? Hmm. You know what I mean? Like left to my own devices. And like with the Steam library, my, I, I recently made a piece with my shame pile of Steam stuff where it's like, I'm never going to, I'm just never going to play half of these. And obviously you can't unbuy them. Thanks, Steam. But it's like, I'm just not going to worry about it. Like, you know, I got that value of owning the thing, right? Some sort of super late capitalist kind of like pleasure <laughs> spike of like, bought that in a sale for three pounds. <laughs> Turns out to be the sum total of the enjoyment I got from <laughs> King's Bounty, the legend. <laughs> <laughs> I do think a lot of, um, a lot of very large games are, um, conceptualized in chunks and then delivered to you in chunks. And actually, they're, um, it's partly down to the, a lot of these games are structured poorly and they're very good at linking the, ch uh, the ch chunks together and giving mm. you transitions between mm. this big city bit and now, like, you're off to the Skellig Isles and the Witcher 3 and this is a whole separate bit that's been designed almost like uh, on its own terms by, you know, a, a dedicated team. And sometimes the games don't do enough to bridge you the player between those things mm. so they provide you with these very very easy jumping off points, yeah, right points. where it seems like a, a huge effort to embark upon the next fucking enormous gargantuan chunk of open world yeah. uh, and there, there's like you don't have to do the linear one island two island three island structure you can actually flip you know you could build a story that goes between these things and actually nests you with stories of both places 
Um, and what Yakuza, for example, does very, very well is that you are playing as two different characters and uh, it interleaves their sections so that you're jumping from Majima to Kiryu and then back to Majima. And each time, it, each story develops the other story at the same time. So it's all nested together and there are no jumping off points at all, even though you're taking fairly regular scene changes. And, so, and they're, they're like, they're like evenings length time, the, the chapters. Aren't yeah. They? And like, it gives, so it gives you like a previously on when you come back to the mm. character as well. Oh, that's cool. And uh, it, it's mm. just, it's, and it introduces things like, oh, you could start don- donating money in set chunks between the characters to build each other's businesses. The two things are mechanically in- in- entwined in a way that makes playing through it seamless. There are, there are no places where, oh, God, a whole new fucking thing has just opened up and I can't mm. be fucked. And actually, loads of, loads of big games are very bad for just overloading the player in those moments. Mm. Maybe yeah. maybe related to that is the, the feeding that compulsion to just munch through games as intensely as possible is that obviously there's a skill requirement and then if you leave a game for a few yeah, days then you've true, yeah. uh, at least i have completely erased yeah. any information i had about how to operate the controller or the keyboard mm. um chewing on it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, yes. so maybe if yeah. games had more sort of I don't know how they would mm. work it out. Maybe they check your Steam Steam account and see if you've not been playing it for, you know, like 72 hours. Then they, they lower the difficulty level, give you a few more button prompts again or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to get you back into yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if, like, if maybe, like, I, I wander away from the question too much. But, like, for me, like, I've always found that, like, that kind of quick burnout thing is a symptom of something else with playing games. It's like if nothing is kind of, like, grabbing you for long enough to really mm. enjoy playing it, then... I don't know if that's a sign of like not an unhealthy engagement with it, but like a sort of rapid cycling sort of. I think it's easy to be easy to be sort of distracted by the latest thing that just yeah. got released, and especially in this age of kind of good quality free to play games. Like there's there's always something that can claim your time. I think that's the thing. Or your it? friends are saying, "Let's play, let's play Fortnite." Mm. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Also, some games their stories are bigger than the game. Then the mechanics built, the mechanical progression yeah. of the game can be a lot, lot shorter than the actual story they're trying to tell. And that, and you get this terrible thing where the combat systems are stretched out for dozens and dozens of hours past their breaking point, really. Yeah. Uh, and that, that, that again is, you probably, a lot of these jumping off points happen when you feel as though you've completed the mechanical arc, but there's still for some reason fucking mm. loads of story left to tell and to absorb. At that point, you might as well watch a film. I think it's, it's weird. Like, I think it's quite hard in some ways. To, like, I mean, honestly, I was quite close to saying might as well watch a film for a lot of this stuff. Like, I think it's in some ways quite hard to make a hobby of games. Not that lots of people don't, but mm. like, this, there are lots of them and they're massive. And a lot of them are quite unreasonable with how they use your time or how much of your time they require. So that kind of you and and they make you feel guilty about burning out because a lot of you know maybe my thesis episode 249 my games were bad <laughs> but like <laughs> um but like i'm not saying that what i'm saying is like you the amount of effort you put in for the return and depends what you're looking for but like you're right tom like you do burn out on mechanics after a while or you just have your fill of them it's like you know you can have enjoyed as many Dark Souls boss fights as you're ever going to enjoy, and that's a very good game, mm. and not see the end of Dark Souls. Mm. You know, but I think that's like a slightly different question to what I think this one is more about the game that you were into, and then suddenly, oh, I've lost it. But like, what I'm saying is those things are related, and yeah. I, I, not to again, not to like read too much into the question, but the thing that prompts this question is I feel guilty for not sticking with games, mm. and I guess what I'm saying is, mm. should you? Yeah, like you know, because. Yeah. Any, everyone understands that if you watch a film for tops three hours, they will let you see the ending. <laughs> yeah. If you read a book all the way to the end, they will let you see what happens in the story. 
Like, that's part of the deal. Like, I remember playing Batman Arkham Knight all the way to the ending. That's a 40-hour, 50-hour game at the best of times. And then it says, oh, you've got to 100% it if you want to see the ending. Mm. And I quit. And I watched the ending on YouTube, which is something I never do. Because mm. I used to be a real completionist about this kind of thing. Because it's like, that's really unreasonable. Like, there's there's absolutely no justification for that it's like i'm not going to do that like you're mm. asking for far more of my time than i want to give mm. and games make this mistake all the time but weirdly the kind of culture of what it's what games kind of because of the challenge and the completionist kind of thing it, you're at fault mm. if you mm. stop mm. it's your attention span that is flawed you know what i mean rather than mm. it being like you know we don't we're not good enough at saying this game's good for 12 hours then you stop playing it mm. which is if we did talk about that more, that would be so much more accurate to the vast majority of people's experience of playing games, which is I picked up Assassin's Creed, I played it for 12 hours, I quite liked it, then I traded it in. Hmm. You know? Like, Hmm. you can see this from achievement stats, like most people know this. It still works as a business model, but it's not necessarily good as a creative model. Yeah. Because, you know, whichever Ubisoft studio makes the last zone in any Assassin's Creed game (laughs) has... It's just been doing beautiful paintings for two percent of people who play by the things to see. And also, the last part of uh, Assassin's Creed Origins, which is just set entirely in a plain white box. Uh, that's probably why it's like, <laughs> it's like wolves that randomly spawn and nothing else. I bet that's why. I, I bet that's the explanation. The intern did this. It's the explanation for the ending of Assassin's Creed Two, which is like right, no yeah, one's yeah. going to see this, so we can just do whatever the oh, fuck we so want. So glad I did see it. Though. Pope Puncher. <laughs> that was a good moment. That's a very yeah, good moment. Dev- pissing themselves about like, that <laughs> nobody's gonna see this <laughs> no one's gonna get through florence <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly right i, I don't yeah. want to flip things on the head too much but yeah i think if you're if you're if you're bored just what else hmm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> emphatic nodding there from marsh next up the light writes hi renaissance and revolution games used to have just two dimensions After a while, some started to use three dimensions. What I'm invested in is the fourth dimension. Time. (laughs) What games have you played that make the best use of time? Places that seem like they have a history or people who seem like they have a past? Thanks for reading everybody. The like. Or the lake. What's that? There's a noise. (laughs) It's, it's, it looks quite Low. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. What is haunting tune? <laughs> yeah, going over the breeze. Uh, whistling through the woodwind instrument that dangles to greet us. I've, I've, I can't hear anymore. <laughs> toot toot. It's Dark Souls, everybody. <laughs> Alex, have you noticed that loads of games are like Dark Souls? Isn't it weird? It's weird how isn't it's it weird? like that, isn't it? It's, it's really strange. <laughs> Man, are games like Dark Souls or is Dark Souls like, like games? games. Hmm. Well, there you go. We've, we've mentioned Dark Souls like 10 yeah, times. Right. Yeah, it's like, so well, it's like, I think fundamentally it's like Castlevania came up a weird number of times. <laughs> yeah. and what is Castlevania but a 2D Dark Souls? What is man but a miserable pile of Dark of Souls? <laughs> <laughs> What is a, th- a, a flute, but a thin tree with something to say? <laughs> <laughs> you say anything, Alex. It's just words, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, no, Dark Souls, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's got a rich sense of history. That's mm-hmm. a game where the world feels like it's been, certainly been 
is there a while? <laughs> History. The w- world the that has been there for the a while. Of being there a while. <laughs> I say Anor Londo, which is a kind of layered reality from mm. two different time mm. zones, is a, a great execution of Doctor's yeah. whole deal. That Six Ages game oh, what yeah. you played. Yep. Uh, it's on phones, but it's coming to PC. That's uh, that's got a whole lot of lore in it. A so, whole lot of lore. Well, it's, yeah, it's based on Golgotha. I have no idea what it's actually. Based it's on. a it's a RPG world that was d- developed in the nineteen sixties, I think. Really, mm. um, very rich, and it was based originally as a kind of experiment in building myths as they are in the real world. Because I mean, that's the thing that's striking about it. It doesn't read like uh, lore from you know. Uh, one of the Bethesda studios or something like that. It feels, oh, yeah, it feels yeah. very kind of mythic and very unreliable. And in fact, the unreliability of it is a gameplay mechanic because in certain points you need to recreate, you need to perform rituals in order to gain the favor of gods. And performing rituals involves recreating scenes from myth. But the way those scenes may have been handed down to you may be flawed or your interpretation of them may be flawed. And so you can accidentally really cool. enrage your gods. Um, or lose a possessed tapestry man in your village, uh, and then, uh, offend your elders. How do I unoffend my ancestors? It wasn't my fault, the fucking possessed tapestry man wandering off. <laughs> <laughs> so hang on. When you say tapestry man. Yeah. Do you mean like a bloke just wandered off the bio tapestry and? Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, it was uh, presumably a depiction of, uh, ancestor of mine, uh, on a, on the tapestry in my tent and he came to life and, uh, I didn't, I chose, chose poorly, obviously. I thought, he was looking for his pots. I thought, why not a man, why not let a man find his pots? But it turns out the village had moved so he couldn't find his pots and then he blew away in the wind and everybody was really angry. <laughs> <laughs> and I was very, very drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, that, yeah, that world has actual magic things and like, it's, mm. it's like, uh, I think the other thing it was trying to be was not Tolkienistic. Yeah. Tolkien, Tolkienistic. Tolkienistic. <laughs> so like, Tolkienistic. Yeah. It has dwarves, but they're made of stone. And it has trolley things, but they're kind of <laughs> four wheels. That's how it's It's really good. I mean, most of the, most of the. Put a quid in them. <laughs> <laughs> Pops back out when you plug them into a different one. I, it's got a real nice text of the game because most of your interactions are with other tribes and it's kind of politicking and managing your own tribe and then foraging and stuff like that. But then you do have representations of gods and spirits that you need to pay homage to. It's really good. Yeah. It's completely impenetrable to me. I have no idea how to unoffend my ancestors now. <laughs> Maybe I never so will. Say sorry. You don't say sorry much in life. Maybe start. Where's, where's, <laughs> there's a sorry button. I'd be the hammering. There's <laughs> good level in Dishonored 2 where you hold a kind of shard of glass and peer into the past. So Ooh, yeah. That's yeah, a very good uh, use. Mm. Yeah. Um, likewise, Titanfall 2 has a level which does something quite similar. Oh, yeah. Where you're mm-hmm. yeah. you know, through portals between the same place in two different time zones. I also love time skips in games, stuff like Fable 2, I think, did it, where mm. there's a generational skip that then sort of pays off some stuff that you did mm. in the first act. I'm not sure that it was actually any good, but the um, uh, Eternal <laughs> Darkness... Oh, I liked that. That's great. Which I, I, was it great? Yeah. I don't know. I, I didn't very know. much remember it being I, great. I enjoyed it. Yeah. And I, what I really liked about it, there was a cathedral which you visit in three different, very yeah. different times. So you visit it first in 
like in the medieval times and you visit it during the first world war i think there might be a third visit i can't remember yeah it might be and one, it's one. in very different shapes and kind yeah. of states in between them yeah and i love really love the opportunity to visit a space in three different times but like very you, you do a few different there's one where um hmm. you visit this sort of um middle eastern temple complex in you know in antiquity and then again as a soldier in the gulf war who just sort of falls through the ground during a battle and, and finds himself in this underground oh, now shit. underground oh, yeah. tunnel yeah which is such a neat yeah. idea and yes i think you encounter the corpse of a previous characters i think you there. might have been a fireman actually but it was like a war fireman war fireman warman war fireman <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so be, yeah yeah, yeah. Fireman. i vaguely remember that yeah i hope yeah. it is a good game it, i i think it was huh. i think it was that was was that wasn't that Silicon Knights. Silicon Knights, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Because also that uses that device at the very end as well. The last battle takes place with everybody, right? Like minor spoilers for I finished it, but I can't remember. It. Yeah. <laughs> if, oh, I'm in the middle of finishing it. Um. But yeah, at the end, you know, you, you, I, I'm a big sucker for um uh, ensemble endings more than anything else. Like the everybody kind of musical theatre impulse to kind of drag the character <laughs> back at once at the ending. Like the, it's a wonderful life thing. Um, and yeah, at the end of that game is basically it's a wonderful life, but instead of oh, you, it's all the different characters you play. Yeah, instead of the game. entire town of people who would whose lives would be worse if you didn't exist, it's everybody who's died fighting a big lobster. Okay, <laughs> 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 oh, I think it's pretty much answered the question. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Real sense of history. <laughs> I mean, obviously, also the hub level in that game is the the, the mansion, mansion that you encounter it? in a bunch of different eras. Do you? Yeah, because you you see it as because you inherit it at the start from your uncle, spooky uncle who's died, and then later you play as him, but like as a less a slightly, I think it's him or his dad, like as a frail man living in the house. It's such a great level being hunted by an invisible Lovecraftian horror. And you've got to do all these kind of Resident Evil style kind of survival things and puzzles in the house while this thing is hunting you. And it's completely invisible. And you're armed with an elephant gun where if you ever fire it, you fall on your ass. <laughs> and it's such a, a good game. idea. It's such a good idea. <laughs> you knock down your foe, but you get knocked down. Yeah, well. exactly. Like, so you, you just start with... You scare it off. You like, you scare it off. Right. But if you fire and you miss, yeah. you're completely fucked. Because mm. you've just... Because mm. you're too old to fire your massive gun. <laughs> Uh, what a great game uh, next question comes from dear Slate and Willowbark inspired by Pip's lovely embroidery on Instagram a compliment that I'll pass on uh, which game has the best craft work by which I mean making useful interesting and or beautiful things in a way that you can influence keep pod in the pod it's dead good cheers Daniel has craft work been in a game I think that craft work the bat the pocket calculator yeah um, may have been in Grand Theft Auto Mm. I had a feeling it was on the soundtrack of something. Maybe uh, Vice maybe City? Even like in a show? I, I don't know if this is <coughs> just a fever dream I had, but I vaguely <laughs> remember them appearing in a, in digital form in a video game. I wonder if it was in like, one of the, in like the Ballad of Gay Tony or something like that. Yeah. Or, or Vice City, maybe? Mm, yeah. I think that would have been. Can I Google this? Yeah. Has Crossbrook ever been in a video game? Yeah. But meanwhile, actually answering the question, yeah, it's a, it's a huge frustration that uh, a lot of games that have crafting um, mini games in them, or you know, 
don't really uh, have any way of gauging the aesthetic qualities of the thing that you produce. So don't encourage them mm. to produce beautiful things. And even the games, there was a game, wasn't there? Like, uh, we play, uh, a French painter. Was there something? Oh, there was, yeah. And, but it didn't matter what you drew. No. That's <laughs> what I find the same thing with, uh, any spelling games. It really annoys me that there's no spelling games which reward you for making beautiful words. Well, they um, surely you have to spell the word they're giving you. <laughs> you can't just be like, sell a door. Sell a door. No. <laughs> I think games like Bookworm Adventures where you get like a bunch of tiles. Oh, I see, like Scrabble games words. kind of things. Scrabble yeah, games, yeah, exactly. And, uh, well, that's my frustration with Scrabble. Yes. It's yeah, just like yeah. you haven't made a fun joke out of the previous word. Mm. It doesn't match semantically. It's not like mm. a theme is emerging. It's just, did you write Xylil? I hate, I hate Scrabble. That's my, mm. like. It's a terrible, terrible game. It ruins language. It does, yeah. Mm. Bookworm almost, one of the Bookworm Adventures almost did it by uh, giving you extra points if you wrote a word which was thematically linked to the uh, environment you're fighting in. Mm. But on the Greek level, I spelt the word Minotaur and it didn't accept it. So fuck Bookworm. <laughs> and fuck that little worm in particular. <laughs> fuck that guy. What's his fucking name? Bookie the no, Bookworm. I, I believe that Graphworks music has only been used in one game. <gasps> and that is Wipeout HD. Mm. And oh. it was a remix of Aerodynamic. Interesting. Thank yeah. you, Alex. Mm. That's it. That's the only known usage of Kraftwerk in a video game. Fantastic. What were we talking? I was angry about the bookworm adventures. Mm. <laughs> worm. <laughs> <laughs> and not anymore. Um, yeah, but you've reminded me how much that guy frustrated me with his little bow tie. Yeah. Maybe the only good example of this is the Spore Creature Creator that you would mm-hmm. then upload to a database that people could rate and you would be rewarded through social currency for a beautiful creation. I think The Sims mm. 4 does this mm. because you can make houses and share them and people can download your houses. And again, it's simply a, do your peers like the thing? Mm. But there's genuine skill because those tools are pretty good for like understanding how a house is nicely laid out and what kind of colours go together. It's not, you know, necessarily like full on you know, craftsmanship, but there's an element of like, I'm really good at this, you know, I suppose, you know, I mean, if we're getting in that direction, then modding Mine, well, or Minecraft, you know, or yeah. Roblox yeah. or whatever, or any game where you can actually fully create things and share them is mm. Opus Magnum is a really good oh, example. Oh yeah, that, that is a very good example because that's quite tightly related to the mechanics as well. Yeah. yeah. And it also, it, ref- it kind of, it measures efficiency and success rate. Like it, mm. it has a few different metrics by which it analyzes the puzzle. Yeah. And a very com- over- overly complicated multi-stage puzzle can be really beautiful and you could share mm. that with a GIF and that's oh, actually really nice. Yeah. Factorio or any, any yeah. of those style games Infinite, where you're be- yeah. creating beautiful machines. I yeah. Think Probably as close as mm. it I suppose there's, you know, to link it back to the embroidery thing, there's something sort of, um, sort of, uh, about the kind of your ability to conceive the kind of process by which something will be achieved, not just kind of add ornamentation to something till it's nice, which is the, mm. yeah. Hmm. Good answer. Mm-hmm. Our next and, and final question comes from Steve, who writes, hi, craft and crossbow. Ooh, a little thematic link here. Hmm. Mm. Back in the days of AOL, I played a fantasy-style MUD with an extremely intricate systems and more granular details than I've ever experienced in a game before or since. The most intricate systems were if you wanted to craft your own materials rather than buy them. If you were like me and wanted to become a master Fletcher, here are the tools and components you would need to make a single arrow, a knife, skinning or carving, 
a wood shaper. Feather flights, flight shears, flight glue, an arrowhead, different types inflicting different damage. A stick of your desired wood type, 26 varieties, each with various workability characteristics. Once you assembled your various tools, it took 17 discrete steps to go from raw materials to a finished product. If you wanted a full quiver, start all over again. Imagine my surprise when people touted the exciting nature of World of Warcraft's crafting system, only to find out that making an iron sword consisted of acquiring a raw material and watching a bar fill up for 15 seconds. And so my question, has there ever been a game you played that had a design choice or system that was so far ahead of its time with what it was doing that you didn't even know it was outstanding until years later when you found other games touting revolutions in that area uh, that were utterly disappointing. Don't glue your flights together, Steve. Oh, Steve. <laughs> Champion of what sounds like my hell game. <laughs> uh, I never want to do any crafting in any game ever again. Uh, I don't want to have to punch a tree more than once. I want to get near a tree. Just and once instantly... so it knows. <laughs> and it'll tell its friends. Yeah. And then you don't have a problem. Then they you get in a forest, punch the biggest tree. <laughs> <laughs> then you shouldn't have a problem. Yeah. That's Perfect. That's the, that's the solution. Uh, but as to, <laughs> as to things that are ahead of their time. Any examples? I, well, Elite would be probably mine because I played it like as a completely unknowing sort of 10-year-old in 1985 or six on a BBC, not knowing that it was in any way sort of special that you were complete, you were in the universe and a huge great universe and able to travel anywhere you like and play it in the way you wanted to. And the game wasn't going to guide you or kind of make you play it in any particular way. Mm. And, um, I just played it. I got stuck. Basically, I didn't know really what to do in it. I was no good at the numbers involved in trading or anything and couldn't really afford much. And I was no good at, at docking. But like, I liked the fact that it was 3D and stuff. And I liked that I could just sort of have fights with, with the police outside the, the space station. And I was completely blissfully unaware that like it kickstarted a, a kind of a whole movement, which people would celebrate like on about 20 years later, mm. you know, like, I wonder to what extent this is almost like the opposite of the phenomenon we were describing when people just sort of like burn out on an excellent, very immediate game and bounce onto the next one, which is that we probably all have memories of games we played when we were younger, where it's like, this is the only game I have to play. So I am going to engage mm. with it completely. Yeah. And I am going to fucking, you know, it's, it's functioning like giving a child a piece of granite and saying, carve your fun out of this. Like, because this game will do everything, but it doesn't need to. It just is. Yeah. Like, what you want when you play Elite is to be Han Solo. Mm. But you're not really. You're, you're, like, obviously, you know, Elite has its charms. I'm not, I'm not denying that. But, like, as a kid playing those things, you really are working super hard and buying into the idea that all of that additional sort of realism and granularity is necessary in order to furnish the fantasy you want. And that belief that the granularity is necessary to furnish the fantasy you want or even have time to experience still powers Star Citizen and, and it does mm. other things. I just have my question, doubts about whether it's necessary, you know, whether people just don't actually want a shortcut to that experience. Maybe that's questioning the premise of the question too much, but like, I don't see a, a system that's necessarily more granular or more complicated is necessarily just more advanced. Right. Most of the, most of the time, those systems appear to be in games to slow people down. Yeah. Like, you know, to 
like to, to make you walk from there to there to kind of like make sure that you can't instantly have your arrows to sell or what if you're going to do with them fire them whatever mm. it's um they had to slow you down like in a in a mud i imagine like even an older mud they were probably just sort of like <laughs> gotta slow these players down like you know just make sure they've got something to return for and you know yeah. to give them something to do or it comes from a sort of simulationist desire to, to really I think try that, and yeah like, I think, yeah which i get but like it's really notable like i've been i mean for various reasons reading a, a bunch of sort of 80s era pen and paper old playing salt source books recently and you know, I think those game designers learned after a couple of decades, there's a degree of granularity that not only isn't necessary, but mm. no one was really using even then. Mm. Because, you know, uh, most of these systems stem from a pen and paper background, particularly in video games, particularly from sort of 80s MUDs, for example, where there really is a desire to digitize uh, experience people having around tabletop. The difference with a digital game is that you can't house rules things. When uh, players around a pen and paper table decide none of us are enjoying the reagent system for casting spells... We'll just want to have that in our campaign. We'll just ignore it. And, you know, therefore pages 78 through 81 of the rule book will just pretend don't exist. You don't have the option. They just sort of are. There's a really good uh, article on PC Gamer at the moment about how um, the n- new um, chaperones of Vampire the Masquerade have streamlined a lot of the uh, kind of more boring granular systems of the uh, mm. new games. Yeah. Because you can't have to. And people always have. That's the thing. It's not like modern dumbing down or anything. It's like people yeah. have always gone, oh, I don't really like this system. But obviously someone felt compelled to implement it for sort of philosophical reasons more than anything else. So you really should know what the wood penetration value is of this pistol, you know? I mean, there's certainly a pleasure in kind of like a very tight granularity. Like this sort of the one in, I always forget the name of it, the the one where you it models a gun and you've got to kind of like, you know, build oh, a gun um, and relock, reload it. And, oh, uh, and begins with R. Receiver. Uh, receiver. Receiver. Like the, when it sort of zooms right into one thing, like yeah. which is not the mud or like the crazy the fetishization almost rather yeah. than uh, simulation. But like, yeah, like yeah. The, the, the version of that applied to a sort of like classic uh, pen and paper RPG would be, it's Deus Ex, but every system is like that. <laughs> like you use a computer and you're mm. like, you know, having to like, you got to install the RAM first. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but when it's focused on a thing, like, you know, yes. you're not having to kind of also wander around the city and have conversations with people where you're just going to the computer and then, you know, the computer is all you're doing, you know, that's fine. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree. Mm. But I think, yeah, I don't know if we've gotten too far off the question necessarily. We probably have. Because the question kind of presupposes that a crafting system that detailed is simply better than World of Warcraft system. Well, I don't necessarily mm, agree with what, that. Yeah. So maybe the question is more about systems that are yeah, better. That's what yeah, I mean, I suppose, I suppose it's definitely something to say, like, about the fact that there are things that certainly be, I would say, I'd frame it a different way. I think there are things that can be lost over time. And I think, I think one of the appeals of MUDs is granularity because it's text-based. Like I work on a MUD. And this is a huge benefit to us on HackMUD of like what you can do with text. Cause you're not, you know, you can have an idea that you would be very difficult to execute in any other way and, and just simply stick it in. And if people like it, you know, it can become a system, that kind of thing. Um, and when whole sort of genres like that go out of favor, so things can certainly be lost. You know, there's a, it'd be certainly fair to say that, and I'd be the first person to agree that the WoW era, um, made it harder to make games with that kind of old mud kind of mm. simulationist thing. And I'm not saying that one should simply replace the other. And I think for a while there was a danger that they would mm. to some extent. We've got a niche outliers like Worm Online. Yeah, true. And stuff like that. that they've kind of picked up the battle and they've always been niche concerns though, that sort of game. Mm. Um, I think that, uh, few games have capitalized on the standoffish relationship between the player and their NPC subjects that you see in Dungeon Keeper and Theme Hospital 
and populace mm. and that whole strata of games that are about managing an environment and then AIs operate within that mm. in interesting ways. So you're manipulating their behaviour by your not directly. You, you, you the... pick imps up and drop them down, but the, the you know you, mm. the a wilding will still eat them <laughs> if they feel like they so inclined to. Like the, the idea that the you're running in a, a place, but everything in, in there has its own personality and will interact according to its behaviours. That and that the, those ideas seem to have dead ended or died with Bullfrog, really. And all we see now are a very nostalgic um, copies that aren't as good as the originals. Mm. Um, so we'll see what Two Point Hospital yeah. is like. I mean, that seems pretty like mm. a, a good one, uh, but attempts to remake Dungeon Keeper and things like that have, have never understood or capitalised on what made those systems really interesting as a player. So that mm. that feels like an example. Also, I think there's a there's an element of like tone there that like there's a sort of ge- that generation of management games that sort of takes as their guiding principle. And this is related that like management is inherently a bit silly. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Not mm. that like it's sort of like a serious thing that you're trying to get right. More that like it, you, it's crisis management more than anything else. It's yeah. like you're a sort of incompetent catastrophe wrangler mm. rather than someone trying to build the you know a factorio style kind of flawless system. Yeah, was like yeah, that always has it had always. It's a great way to express personality in a game when the NPCs you're interacting with, you're ostensibly supposed to have control of them in some way, but actually mm. they rebel against you directly. And often, like what would happen in Dungeon Keeper was great because like the Horned Reaper was the ultimate combat character, but he would piss off everyone around him because he was such a dick <laughs> that even the most disgusting creatures in hell, from hell, the warlocks and everyone else would hate him. And uh, in Dungeon Keeper 2, you'd have to box him up in his own palace. You have to build like a palace just for the Horned Reaper because otherwise he's going to fucking get to fight Stefan all the time. The, the flies and the, spi- the spiders would eat the flies so they couldn't coexist. So you had to have, you know, separate habitations for them. And you're, you're managing this kind of... I mean, it just implies so much about those creatures' lives just to have those conflicts breaking out in your dungeon, having to kind of, as you say, firefight that stuff. Um, and that, it feels like such a rich thing mm. that could be you know, experimented yeah. with and developed, yeah. but it never has been, really. Mm. Yeah, I think I feel like um, no game has managed to make sustainable a kind of, like, MMO. I don't know, maybe, maybe it worked with the old scrolls, I don't know. But, like, there was a sort of... My kind of golden era of playing MMOs was around Dark Age of Camelot and Star Wars Galaxies and things where territory really felt meaningful and the eve has definitely done this but it feels like the move towards sort of battleground style pvp modes and arena style pvp modes kind of like ended the era of like territory capture and holding and kind of players kind of living in spaces in in mmos that i feel like not things necessarily went backwards but like whatever the and i wouldn't necessarily you know i think i understand that a lot of developers moved on from those ideas while working on more modern games but it does feel like those ideas never really escaped a particular moment. And I don't know whether to put their success at a given time to the way online games were consumed it mm. in the noughties or the early noughties versus now. But it's that certainly thing where if someone pulled that off now, it'd be the best thing ever and just doesn't seem to exist. Planetside, right? Like I can't really imagine someone coming out with Planetside now and it working, mm. which is kind of interesting because that's an idea that I think is still very compelling, mm. but certainly kind of locked in its time. <laughs> Thank you for that little noise, Martin. No problem. You can have another one if you like. Lovely. That is all of the uh the questions we've got time for. All of the Captain Bants. That's all the Captain Bants. We actually only had half the half, Captain half Bants. The Captain Bants. Yeah. Two uh, Bants for me. If you'd like to send us some Bants for a future Bantisode, you can do so by Bant mailing us. <sighs> Ha <laughs> <laughs>
questions at creightoncrowbar.com. In it, you can tweet us at creightoncrowbar. You can hang out with our Discord community on Discord. The link for that is on our website. Look for the word Discord in the navigation menu and then click it with your mouse pointer. Uh, you can uh, find us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash creightoncrowbar. And many thanks to our Patreon backers who make all of these bands possible uh, for better or for worse. <laughs> and uh, if you'd like to uh, find us on Twitter as individuals, I'm at C Thurston. That's C T H U R S T E N. I'm Marsh Davis. That's D A V I E S. Nice. I'm Rotational. R O T A T I O N A L. Nice. I'm Tom Senior, and I'm at PCG Ludo, which is L U D O. Lovely. Lovely. Bounce for listening, everybody. everybody. <laughs> hey. <laughs>